This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Episode 311 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko. For this new year, 2020 is upon us. It's the first episode of the new year. And today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's new signing, Arling Braut Haaland, who we have yet to talk about, and uh, Julian Weigel leaving Borussia Dortmund for Benfica. And we have to preview Saturday's game against FC Augsburg as the Bundesliga restarts. And for all that and more, join me. Once again in the new year, hello, Lars Polman, how are you doing? Hello, Stefan, I am as fine as I was uh, 16 days ago. I hear you are very well rested now because uh, the uh, pesky Patriots are no longer interrupting your sleeping pattern. Who? <laughs> the New England Patriots. Never heard of them. All right, that's that's good to hear, neither have I. Because all I have heard is the Green Bay Packers. And uh, with that, also here, the one and only Matthias Zug. How are your Cowboys doing, huh? All right. Well, that was a fun podcast. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at... Uh, no. Uh, I am doing fine. And I'm actually uh, okay because there's finally a new head coach in Dallas. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, how are you, Stefan? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Still a bit under the weather, so if my voice sounds even more camp than usual, that's because my nose is stuffy. But um, all that aside, uh, we are very happy to be back. At least I am. Don't want to speak for everyone else. Um, and Dortmund, of course, have made some news during the winter break by signing Arling Holland from RB Salzburg. I think we were all... Um, sort of anticipating that transfer, but uh, now it's official and he has already played one uh, underwhelming 45 minutes in a friendly against Mainz, which is uh, coincidentally also the only uh, minutes that I've watched of Dortmund's training camp. So, um, yeah, I'm not uh, too overwhelmed with with uh, that overall showing, but we can talk about that later. Um, last top-line reaction, what... Do you make of this transfer? Do you think it helps Dortmund or do you think it uh, has negative consequences for the club in one or many forms? Well, I'm certainly happy um, that they got the man they clearly wanted. And I think in terms of, you know, thinking of transfers as like shows of power or whatever, uh, it, it's certainly a, sh a sign of strength. Uh, for Dortmund to have that kind of pull on a player that could easily have joined uh, Manchester United, Juventus Turin, uh, RB Leipzig and presumably a host of other clubs. So for him to uh, choose Dortmund, that's, that's certainly a positive for me. I'm a bit reserved on 
you know, how he actually fits into the squad just because of the Favre factor, because, you know, typically, even though there are some cases where he has played a, an out-and-out striker, he's been uh, a coach for most of his career and certainly in the Bundesliga that hasn't really uh, relied on, you know, that big target man, number nine, which Haaland in some ways represents. Uh, that that it, it was clearly something they lacked in their squad as an option. I don't necessarily agree with all these people who during the first half of the season and maybe even second half last season clamored for a true striker as the, the main difference between Dortmund and, you know, a title winning side. I think there are other areas of concern in Dortmund's team that haven't been addressed. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about Julian Weigel, but I think they actually weakened the most important position in modern football needlessly. Uh, so I'm not sure how much of an impact that is going to have. So for Haaland, I mean, he's 19. He hasn't played in a top league. I know he scored eight goals in the Champions League. But, you know, uh, I think four of those came against Genk, which is a Belgian side. So um, I think there's obviously reason for optimism because all these clubs wanted him and Dortmund have a pretty good track record with, you know, these major talents. Uh, I would, I'd say they haven't been great with, you know, the, 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 the smaller prospects, the Sergio Gomez's of the world. Um, well, Michael Marinos, yeah. Don't do that to me, Stefan. It's the first show <laughs> of 2020. Um, but you know, with the 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 big guys, the the sun shows, the the I think that's the kind of talent that we're looking at. So I'm I'm sure he's going to turn out just fine for Dortmund. Just the question is, how, when will he start to make a real impact? And is that in time for you know the season to be saved, if you like? seeing as, you know, 30 points from the Hinrunde is really not much to be proud of. No, yeah, I, I agree with that, definitely. Um, Matthias, how uh, happy are you or uh, excited about this transfer? Do you think, as, as Lars said, that's, uh, you know, a bit of sending a signal to other teams since he was such a sought-after talent? Or do you also have some reservations about this transfer, uh, not least because they are that there is a release clause in his contract now, which, correct me if I'm wrong, last but triggers in 2022? Nobody really knows. Okay. Matthias? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of rumors there, and yeah, 2022 is also what I heard, but, you know, Michael Edzok said we don't talk about contracts, which is fine, because at the end of the day, it's nobody's damn business, except for the employer and the employee. Um, the overall implications, I think, are all the positive things that last talked about, you know, the signal that it sends. Um, but beyond that, you know, we kind of talked about it um, in one of the last episodes where it not just fills certain areas of concern or need that needed to be addressed in the squad, so on the pitch, but also off the pitch, it obviously attracts more eyeballs to Dortmund, Dortmund were the talk of the footballing world then again for a couple of weeks because of this. Uh, I always find it ironic that nowadays um, other clubs that don't get a player send out these idiotic press releases and tweets saying, well, we never wanted him anyway. 
Um, you know, <laughs> Bayern, Bayern are pretty good at that. Manchester United are getting good at that too. And it's just like, now you just look like a freaking idiot. Um, so it would have been better if you just would have just not said anything. And now you just look like a moron because, of course, you wanted the player. Um, I'm thinking also of Julian Brandt and Bayern where they're like, we didn't want him anyway. It's like, of course you did. Don't be an asshole. Um, but... Beyond that, obviously, it attract more eyeballs to Dortmund. Uh, the one negative, of course, is going to be the Jaden Sancho type thing where every few months we're like, whoa, when's he going to go to a real club, a big club, the Premier League, as an example, you know, Manchester United. And obviously, that'll come down to how well he performs or not. Um, if he delivers on the trajectory that he is currently playing uh it's going to be phenomenal if he just develops to the level of his age and the raw talent that's there Dalton still got a player for pretty cheap at the end of the day uh even with the supposed add-ons in today's market that's pretty cheap given how hotly handled he was um so i don't see any negatives there um, I personally just see positives, but just like La said, I don't think this is the, the catalyst to a title. There's more to it than that. Um, football is complex and I know we like, uh, simplistic hot takes nowadays. Um, but having the quote unquote, especially you. Uh, oh yeah. Especially me. Uh, the, the quote unquote, Traditional target man number nine, which just so you know, Holland is not that. He is not a Kopfball ungeheuer, uh, as we would say in German. So someone who heads in a lot of goals. He's a very technical player. He likes the ball to feet. And, um, so he's also, he's just, you know, not, you know, he's not a Bachuai type guy or a Lewandowski per se. And he's still really young, but I think he, it benefits the side for sure. How that fits in with uh, what Favre likes to do, um, like Las said as well, he tends to not like an out-and-out striker, even though he did make Balotelli work at Nice. Uh, and getting Balotelli to work is kind of a feat unto itself these days. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. But overall, very positive. Yeah, it's uh, interesting the uh, Athletic wrote that Dortmund scouted him 28 times and I think in that same article, even though I haven't read it fully, but uh, you know, excerpts were published elsewhere, uh, it said that Thomas Delaney lobbied him as well to come to Dortmund, but uh, as it turns out... Uh, Arling Haaland told the Bundesliga uh, that uh, the cr the transfer was all him. It was actually me who asked my dad, uh, yeah, Dortmund is uh, that would be nice, and uh, he uh, he he said, yeah, I don't know, I have no idea, I have to check, and then that's how it came up. So it was actually me uh, asking my dad. So yeah, uh, Lars, what what do you make of this? Do you do you think that it was that simple that Haaland just said that I want to join Dortmund? Obviously not. I mean, <laughs> he, <clears throat> sorry, he certainly seems to be playing the media game pretty well. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, call his uh, introductory media roundtable thingy, uh, which Dortmund have uh, published on their YouTube page, I think. I mean, he is a man of very few words. 
And those words are carefully selected by himself and everyone around him, I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, we know he took uh, multiple visits uh, elsewhere. He was at Leipzig on the same day. Uh, he spent with Dortmund earlier in the day or later in the day. I don't remember the the exact details. We know he had discussions with Juventus and United. So I think we have to take it with a fairly large grain of salt that his mind was made up once Dortmund called or whatever. But, you know, uh, he, he certainly seems to be selling that idea pretty well. And for one thing, uh, I like how he says Dortmund. It almost sounds <laughs> like a German there. So that's pretty nice. Yeah, he also even cleared up for us how to pronounce his name. Um, if you're not in Norway, you can say uh, Erling Braut Haaland. And uh, if you're in Norway, you can say Erling Braut Haaland. There you go. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, it was funny at the end of the interview. I don't, I don't have that snippet uh, or, or that round table, as, as you called it. He uh, said that he always liked Dortmund and... Uh, then <laughs> someone asked him to clarify what is it the fans the stadium the football style or the colors and he's like yep the all of that so <laughs> i i think we can all take this with the arling broad holland uh size grain of salt but uh, nevertheless um it's it's going to be very interesting um also um how he is going to be integrated because why well, i would at least say that um Toward the end of uh, the Hinrunde, Lucien Favre found a system that sort of had his mojo and had his flow, but uh, the line then was led by Marco Royce, of course, in a 3-4-3 system, if you will. And um, you can play the same system with both Royce and, and Haaland because, obviously, uh, where would you play Royce then? Uh, maybe, maybe on the wing, but where would you play Hazard then? So, um, you know... There, there are a couple of questions how uh, Favre will, yeah, set up his system to to fit Haaland in into this. I assume there's no other. I, I don't even know if if we'll see a four four two system with both Paco Alcacer and Haaland at the same time. Um, I'm very intrigued to see that, but I would assume that it will take a while until we see Haaland start. I don't know how about you guys, but I anticipate that uh, it's it's going to take a while just because um of the little time they had to to gel and uh lucifer usually likes to take things slow with players anyway so um last do you how how do you reckon uh we how many first team minutes will will see from Haaland? do you think he'll be more of a super sub or maybe in five match days into the Rückrunde, we'll see him starting and uh, not leaving the starting lineup. Well, I think they kind of sold him on the idea of uh, him getting a starting spot almost immediately at Dortmund, which is arguably the the, the biggest reason why he jo joined them, uh, as opposed to going, uh, for example, to Juventus or Leipzig, who have... Uh, quite a, a lot of strikers in their squads right now, but, you know, more of a down-the-road need in that position. So I think it would be kind of hard to explain to him and his camp how uh, Dortmund, who don't really have a striker outside of him, because, you know, Paco, we don't know that he's going to be here. We don't know that he wants to be here. And certainly we know that he hasn't scored since, I think, September 14th. So... 
it's not like uh, you know he has a starting spot that Haaland needs to challenge or anything. So I would assume that he's going to be the the regular starter as soon as he can be. Uh, obviously, um, that might take a while, as you mentioned. He missed, I think, like in total something like four weeks with a slight knee problem. Uh, it only costs him. Uh, I think a couple of days of team training in the training camp in Marbella in Spain. But uh, even if he had been a part of all of those practice days, it might have been a tall task for him to make the starting 11 for the Augsburg match and maybe even the Cologne match, which is kind of a short turnaround because it's on Friday evening. But overall, I think the, the, the plan has to be to integrate him after, you know, fighting so hard to get him and you know fending off uh, considerable uh, opposition for his services so i think the the good thing obviously is dortmund are still in three competitions they have i think three bundesliga matches augsburg cologne and union before the cup uh, round of 16 against uh, werder bremen and then it's all, almost uh, time for the champions league matches against uh, paris so there's going to be enough opportunity to go around for all the attacking players and, you know, typically there's no shortage of uh, injuries at Dortmund. So, you know, you never know if Marco Reus can play 25, uh, it's probably not going to be 25, but like 20, 21 matches in the second half of the season. Uh, Sancho has had a few problems, not necessarily with injuries, let's put it that way. Um, and also because most people think uh, Eden Azar and uh, in uh, Torgan Azar. Um, <laughs> I mean, right now Torgan is the only buried the lead here, huh? Am I right? <laughs> uh, I mean, right now Torgan is clearly better than Eden, who is both overweight and uh, injured. But uh, I mean, what I was going to say was that uh, Torgan Azar uh, plays left wing back for Belgium uh, pretty much regularly. So I think there is another opportunity to integrate him because uh, we've seen that Farfo doesn't like to play Rafael Guerrero game in, game out. And I mean, Nico Schulz hasn't really warranted uh, being included in that discussion necessarily. So I could see, you know, the, the odd occasion where uh, Azad is the odd man out in attack for Haaland, but still in the starting lineup. Yeah, same question to you, Matthias. How do you think Haaland will integrate into Dortmund? How will um, his integration changed Dortmund as well well you hope it wouldn't dramatically impact uh, the good setup that was found towards the end of the Hinrunde um, but obviously he's a completely different player than the quote-unquote strikers uh, that were used at that time given that we actually had strikers and they weren't being played but um I think actually he could function in that system. Uh, and what it will give you is just greater rotation options. I mean, I know Favre isn't Mr. Rotation per se, but I don't know if that's simply down to lack of options or lack of trust. Um, uh, I would, I would ideally like to continue with the, the back three system. Because I feel like the the team gelled really really well, and I think Holland can can function in that system. I don't see why not. I mean, given that he's not just a big lumpy striker at the top, uh, but also a technically gifted um, young 
uh, agile player. I think he can he could fit into that rather well. And you do have that change of pace with Paco because he is different. Obviously, he's differently built, so he can he can move differently and play differently. Um, you combine that, uh, and you have some interesting options, whether you play with a single striker or two strikers up top at a back three formation. Um, but then, of course, you're asking who behind him won't play, be a Sancho, a Royce, or an Azad. But those options and that rotation option is very, very important because, as La said, we're in quite a few competitions and they're going to come thick and fast. And so you need to make sure that you have the ability to rotate uh, matches that aren't maybe as difficult. I hate using that term because every match is difficult, but you know what I mean? I mean, not, not every match, <laughs> not every match is Paris, so to speak, or a cup tie or something like that. So, uh, that you can rest certain key players at certain times in the attacking third. Um, even though that's not my greatest concern, my greatest concern is now possible lack of depth in the central midfield. Yeah, we will talk about this in a second, but first I do want to mention that I'm very excited uh, about the burst of speed that Arlen Haaland has. Um, he's just very, very uh, fast on the first, I don't know, 10 meters or so. Reminds me a bit of uh, Aubameyang in that regard, even though he's very uh, tall and uh, yeah, he runs a bit awkwardly, but I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, and obviously uh, to to have a player that that can use his physique is is nice even though he is not the player that uh, you know does a lot of older play but he, he still can do it um and i'm excited and i really do hope that Dortmund players draw the right conclusions that they don't just look at Haaland and see that he's tall and try to cross it high to him because you know as we've already pointed out He's a player that likes the ball on, on the ground and he can dribble a bit. But, um, yeah, what I'm not looking forward to is, you know, his first touch is sometimes a bit frustrating. Um, from what I've seen is that he likes to do little flick ons here and there, a bit like, uh, Alcasa, which then go wayward. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, I also, I don't know. In, in one way, I thought it was good for the club to, to really, you know, exploit the hype that was created around this transfer and uh, get as much quote unquote reach as possible. On the other hand, I, I'm a bit more reserved. I don't think he will uh, be a starter right away. And I think he will be uh, nurtured a bit longer, but who knows what the circumstances are in, in a week or in two weeks. So, uh, I don't really know, but um, I don't foresee him to start in the next four or five games right away. I, I don't know. Um, have to figure it out on the way. I, I guess um, that's one of the uh, negatives of signing a player in the winter. But uh, the positive is then he will be uh, completely and fully integrated, hopefully, by the start of the next season. So um, that at least should be exciting and. Uh, Obviously, what also should be exciting is the link-up play between him and Sancho and, and Royce and all these very, yeah, s uh, quick players that that like to combine in in a way that I think fits Haaland very well. And um, one thing that I'm aligned a little bit in the Hinrunde is that Dortmund's corner attacks weren't always the best. Um, I think they had a lot of potential 
for more counterattacks considering uh, when they were in the lead and sitting back. So there was a lot of space to exploit that they did not exploit in the end. And I hope and pray that Haaland will improve at least that aspect because I very much see him as a transition striker. So, um, yeah, I, that's at least what I'm excited about. Um, but of course, something else happened during the winter break. Um, I wasn't really surprised, but, uh, maybe some people seem to be surprised by the destination because we and Weigel joined Benfica. Um, last, and you have already said that you think uh, Dortmund have weakened themselves in central midfield. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Julian Weigel? joining the Portuguese league. I was very much surprised by the destination um, because, I mean, Benfica doesn't necessarily come to mind for a still relatively young player from Germany who moves from the second leading team in the league, not necessarily in terms of table, but, you know, standing and, and recent history and whatnot. So uh, even if Perhaps, you know, the, the PSG and Man City or whatever who, who might have come in for him in after, you know, a, a top class season. Even if those weren't interested, I was uh, assuming that, you know, not necessarily better clubs, but just ones that are more in focus here in Germany might come in for him. But maybe he, maybe he thought, you know, uh, let's go completely out of my comfort zone, go somewhere where I probably will have a pretty hard time understanding the language because Portuguese, learning Portuguese is pretty hard for uh, German speakers. Um, so, and, and obviously, I mean, as far as, you know, living somewhere goes in Europe, I think you could do a lot worse than Lisbon, which is, as many people will say who have been there, I haven't, unfortunately, uh, one of the, if not the greatest city in Europe to, you know, spend time in or live in. So maybe that played a part in it, but I also didn't really understand it from Dortmund's perspective uh, because they left themselves quite vulnerable, as I said, in the arguably most important position in modern football. I mean, uh, even if Weigel wasn't considered a regular starter by design, he still played, I think, 15 matches in the first half of the season alone in midfield. Um, so that's something they need to replace. And I mean, right now, the only... Uh, replacements are, I guess, uh, Thomas Delaney, who missed some time in the first half of the season, uh, leading to Weigel playing, uh, Mahmoud Tahoud, who is very much a different player, as is Delaney, uh, for that matter, and Tobias Raschel, who, I mean, for all the, the laurels he's gotten over performances for the under 19 team and in the youth league, he still hasn't played in a competitive match for the first team. So, I kind of don't understand why uh, Dortmund would do this. I mean, they they did their usual thing and said, oh, he has played for us so long. He's been such a good soldier that we are going to grant him his wish. But I mean... Marcel Schmelzer might like a word with that. (laughs) First of all, that. And and second of all, I mean, okay, but why don't you do something else about it? I mean, I, I, I... honestly don't really understand how Dortmund can go into a season saying we want the championship and go into the second half of the season spending 20 million on a striker which is in my opinion almost a luxury transfer uh, in terms of Dortmund squad planning 
and then turn around and say, you know what, the the only guy who can do some of the things that Axel Witzel does for us, who is now 31 year old, uh, years old, I think, uh, and has had a few injury issues, uh, obviously coming with age. Uh, I, I don't understand why Dortmund do this and certainly don't understand why they don't turn around and, you know, get someone else in. I mean, I'm basically guaranteeing you right now that in the summer there's going to be a lot of talk about you know a starting caliber defensive midfielder coming in because in the second half of the season you will probably see that you know they are one short in that regard so i don't understand it from the club's perspective i kind of don't understand it from weigel's perspective but i mean who am i to say anything about uh, a player getting his wish Matthias, what are your thoughts on Weigel leaving to Benfica? I mean, I don't... It's not a, a huge surprise. I mean, it was a surprise it was Benfica, but um, I think he'll do well there. Um, it, Portugal is a great country. It's a great city. I've I've enjoyed time there, so um, I, I can see that appeal. The As far as... The squad depth that that is a concern because I'm not seeing the player off the top of my head who can fulfill the Witzel role when Witzel needs a break or he's suspended or he's injured. Um, now selling a backup player for a decent fee who is probably also earning a good amount of money. Uh, I don't have an issue with that at all. Um, I also don't have an issue at all with Weigel per se going um, simply because, you know, he had an amazing time under Thomas Tuchel that one season, but ever since then, things really haven't quite gone his way. Uh, and that's not all entirely up to him. Obviously, manager changes, system changes, stuff like that. Um, he is... You know, he was versatile, but the problem with him was he just lacked any form of pace. And I think that's why you look at it and go, okay, there's a good chance that Dalton will get hit on the counter a few times playing on the front foot. And Weigel is just not any, he just can't cope with that in going back. So um, I'm okay with it from that standpoint. But I just don't know who else there is in a backup role who can who can fit the the Witzel position. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe Balerdi. He's played defensive midfielder. I don't know. Um, I'm sure they didn't do this without considering that because it's a rather obvious consideration to think about. Um, so maybe it's Russia. Maybe it's Balerdi. Maybe it's somebody we're not even thinking of right now. Um, but uh, I'm sure there is a plan. What it is right now, I'm not 100% sure. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I guess that's what we refer to as blind trust. <laughs> um, yeah, but I actually had to chuckle a little bit when I uh, read that Weigel joined Benfica. Um, and uh, this is like a very tiny anecdote, which is also not a great arc or, any or anything, but... Um, The uh, very first international game I covered for ESPN on the road was uh, the quarterfinal in 2017 against Benfica. And that was one of the games where Julian Weigel actually played really, really well. And uh, I think Dortmund somehow still managed to lose this, even though I think Aubameyang missed the penalty and all that. Uh, anyway, a barrage of chances and Julian Weigel was uh, amazing in this game. And it was at a time where other Bundesliga teams had figured out 
how to mark him or or rather that uh, it's very important and key to man mark him and uh the uh, mix zone of the stadium uh, was set up in a way that the players had to pass the the pen where the journalists are uh, to make it to the team bus now Dortmund overall are very notorious for sneaking their players um either not even through that or or just find a diff different exit or whatever because uh, for some reason they do not uh, adhere to the UEFA regulations that every um player in the Champions League has to go through the mix zone but uh so I just uh, wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one interview and uh, I sort of stalked Weigel around the, the fence and, and stopped him for a conversation, even though he didn't really want to talk to me. But I was like, mate, I made all this, uh, you know, I, I flew here just to talk to you. So, uh, yeah, he was nice enough. And uh, in, the, in the end, basically, my, my question or one of the questions was uh, whether he was surprised um by the by the shitty scouting um since he had all that space and no one really marked him and uh, he he was very frank and which is something that i always appreciate about Weigel. and he just said yeah uh, i can't i can't believe i was that open sort of agreeing with uh, the uh, poor job that benfica have done so in hindsight it's a little bit funny that uh, this was this one benfica experience and uh, you know it, it didn't reflect too well on, on the club from a tactical standpoint but uh, i don't think these things play too much of a role i don't even know if the same coach i think it was jorge jesus at the time is still at benfica so um i don't know but uh you know just just a little anecdote uh of the uh one talk i had with julian weigel one-on-one uh in the mix zone in lisbon anyway and uh for for what it's worth, the food in Lisbon is really really good, so um, that's definitely a plus for why you would join this very beautiful uh city. So anyway, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say on the subject because you two both covered it quite well. So that brings us to our next little transfer. I don't know tidbit. I don't know, um, and that is Jakob Brunlassen because Lars, you for Fußball Punk News. Have a couple of uh, informations on on that potential transfer to Frankfurt or not potential transfer. Tell us what you know. Uh, I have heard that there are discussions between uh, Dortmund and Frankfurt over possibly a loan of uh, Brun Larsen, which I think today has been reported now by a number of uh, outlets in Germany. Um, yeah, the the thing is that. I'm not sure that there's necessarily a plan as yet, whether that's going to be a pure loan or maybe a loan with an option, or I could even see Dortmund selling him outright just because he doesn't really have much of a role in the squad at this point. He really fell off the radar in the first half of the season. And my, uh, pers from, from my perspective, he just doesn't have, you know, Dortmund quality. So. I think you would be delaying the inevitable if you didn't just try to sell him right now. And I think Frankfurt are, you know, a club that is in need of wingers. They have a few injury issues uh, at the moment. They tumbled down the table towards the latter half of the Hinrunde. So that, that seems to be a situation where, you know, a, a couple of signings until January 31st might make sense but you know whether Brun Larsen ends up there or sticks put I mean that's still anybody's guess I, I think 
Yeah, well, my, my personal hope is also that Dortmund sell him sooner rather than later just because of the things you mentioned. I also don't believe that he has Dortmund quality. And so, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, you know, you also just want to clear the path for Gio Reyna. Uh, I mean, you could do that with Brun Larsen there, obviously, but, uh, you know, he has been made a full member now of the, of the first team. So that's positive news, I guess, for the American listeners there who are excited about the kid. Um, I don't know. I don't want to build too many expectations, but, uh, from what I see is at least that there is more talent in him than in Brun Larsen, especially, um, in the aspect of, of being able to dribble and, and be the opponent. I think that's uh, key for Dortmund to have players like that. And Brun Larsen just doesn't do that very often. He has other strengths, but so, um, yeah, I, I hope that somehow there is a development this season that, whatever minutes Brun Larsen would have gotten that Giorena gets them and, and does better than the Danish man. But uh, yeah, I don't know if this uh, bears out. Matthias, any thoughts on Brun Larsen or do you want to go on to Augsburg? I think we can move on to Augsburg. All right. So yeah, Augsburg right now in 10th place and they have... Uh, collected more points in their last six games in the league than Dortmund so um, that being said you know I think we all remember the opener very fondly where Augsburg were uh, shellacked by Dortmund 5-1 to one, uh, also thanks to their goalkeeper Kubek um, and yeah a, a game that looked very promising for Dortmund and then the next two games against Cologne and Union Berlin were very quickly to remind us that it's very wrong to dream about anything based on the very first performance in the season. Um, I don't know if Augsburg really have developed much according to this, uh, uh, across the season because the, uh, you know, strong run toward the end of the Hinrunde came against mid-table sides and, and relegation dwellers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game. I don't know how the weather will be and how the pitch is looking in Augsburg, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm just never looking forward to games in Augsburg per se, Matthias. Um, what kind of game do you expect? Well, as long as Raul Bobadilla, Bobadilla isn't playing, I think, uh, we can banish ghosts of Augsburg past. Um, you know, Augsburg, I, I don't think they're very good. Um, they're, you know, they're a relegation type team. It's going to be a very ugly game. It's going to be a physical game. It seems like it's the same thing we say all the time when it comes to Augsburg, right? Um, I don't expect that to be any different. It's going to be very, very uncomfortable for Dortmund. Um, and given that the weather will definitely not be as nice as it was in the summer, just by nature of it being cold, uh, I think that that benefits Augsburg more, uh, when it comes to comfort or lack thereof. Uh, even though I do believe Dortmund will come away with a victory here, it's going to be very ugly, very frustrating. And another one of those where it's like, you just got to be patient, um, and, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Augsburg score, uh, from a set piece or some, some crap goal, uh, just because I feel, I just, in my bones, I feel like it's going to be that kind of match. Um, I can already see the Twitter headlines. Um, but, 
yeah, it's it's going to be it's not going to be a fun match to watch in my opinion, but the result will be the right result and at the end of the day, uh playing Augsburg in Augsburg this time of year, that's really all you want. Yeah, so last the only minutes of Dortmund I've seen in 2020 were the second half against Mainz, which was atrocious and disastrous. Uh, I have no other way to put it. So uh, is there a way you can make me more optimistic and hopeful about Saturday's game? Or uh, is this what I'm going to see now on, on Saturday as well, where Dortmund are very lethargic, commit needless errors and concede on a set piece? Uh, I don't really know what to tell you, Stefan. Um, short, 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 short answer, <laughs> no. I can't. I mean, this is who Dortmund are. I mean, I would discount largely, you know, attacking performances in preseason, especially winter uh, uh, prep games. Like, they don't care about these games. They are just a way to, you know entertain your players during a training camp, especially when it's all condensed in the winter as opposed to the summer where uh, there's a bit more time to get ready for the season. So, I mean, for them to not have like a, a single good attack in a goalless draw against Standard Liège, I don't care about that. But, you know, both against Feyenoord and Mainz, they conceded dumb goals after individual mistakes, uh, Roman Birki, Manuel Kanji especially, which, you know, that's, that has nothing to do with, uh, the winter break and, and, you know, the game's not counting. I mean, we've seen individual mistakes time and time again during the first half of the season and there's no real reason to expect that to change just because there's now a different digit at the end of the, the year. So, I mean, They are still going to be mistake prone until they prove uh, otherwise. So that's something to not look forward to, I guess. But, you know, overall, as I said, don't really count attacking performances. And in that department, they looked kind of good uh, after changing the system outside of that Hoffenheim game. But I think they were kind of uh, on their last legs in this, in that game. But I mean... Arguably the best 45 minutes since early in autumn were uh, the first half uh, against Leipzig, in my opinion. That was the second last game of the season, uh, of the Hinrunde. So it's not like uh, we don't have anything to go on in terms of decent or even good performances going forward. So I guess there, there comes the optimism. But, you know, <laughs> generally speaking... It's Augsburg, as you guys mentioned, even though Dortmund don't have a terrible record in, in Augsburg, uh, outside of the Dong Wanji festival of, I think, March 2019, when they hilariously lost, uh, 2-1 at Augsburg. Uh, it's still, you know, the, the kind of opponent that makes your life difficult by being bang average for the Bundesliga. But, you know, that's something they have to deal with. And it's kind of a good litmus test almost. Uh, as to whether they're for real or not in the second half of the season because after dropping so many points uh, in the first half of the season there's absolutely no way you uh, can achieve any of your goals in the second half of the season unless you beat teams like Augsburg even if, if even if it's away from home and even if it's cold or whatever I mean we we haven't really had winter in Germany anyway 
Yeah, see, I'm I'm so far removed from Germany right now that I'm, you know, the when when I was talking about the weather, I I was you know asking myself whether there might be snow on the, on the field because that would make things maybe a bit more interesting or difficult or whatever. Um, but you are absolutely right in the in the fact that I I think we can just say that Dortmund really need nine points from the first three games against Augsburg, Cologne and, and Union Berlin and uh, everything else would be actually laughable and uh, an indictment on the player's attitude because um, if you want to win the championship or anything really, um, these are games where you have to win without any excuses, to be honest. And um, going by how Dortmund ended the Hinrunde, we actually can be quite optimistic, um, but... That depends on whether Lucien Favreau holds true to the 3-4-3 system and, uh, how, how he plays. But, um, I think, you know, it's, it's really annoying in the end that uh, Dortmund lost to Hoffenheim because I really do think that uh, had a lot to do with them just being completely gassed. Um, it's not like Hoffenheim played, uh, any, anything good or, I don't know, apart from those two plays where they scored against Dortmund. And uh, I think a Dortmund with a bit more focus could have made it to nothing and then this game would have been dead. But uh, yeah, these three points are now direly missed. And so Dortmund have to have a good start into 2020. So um, yeah, I'm I'm a bit anxious, but um, I, I do think there is a reason for positivity and I hope uh, they can completely... Um, overrides my impressions for from these uh yeah really horrendous 45 minutes um matthias how should dortmund deal with uh, florian niederlechner who is uh, leading augsburg in goals and assists with eight apiece uh the same way you deal with roven hennings i mean in the sense of he's a form striker for a crap team i i don't really think there's much I don't think Dortmund should go out and game plan against him. I think it's more a matter of fact of Dortmund uh forcing themselves upon Augsburg and Augsburg game planning and figuring it out. Um rather than the other way around. If you're the dominant side, uh yeah, you look at what their strengths are, more importantly what their weaknesses are and you try to exploit it. But I would be surprised if go in you're like, okay, Florian Niederlechner, man, we really got a game play game plan for this guy. Uh I'm I'm not overly concerned about that. I mean, obviously that's the ultimate jinx now, but uh it, it's not really something that I think I don't think anyone's gonna be losing sleep over him as far as game plan goes. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Lars, do you expect uh, Lichtsteiner to play as a right back? Because him and uh, Harlow would be, you know, the, the point of the field where I would point to, to say to my skilled players to attack right there. No, I'm pretty sure Tin Yetwai is the right back um, with Harlow or however you pronounce his name. No idea. And uh, Uduokai in the center and obviously Philip Max, who in my opinion is the best Augsburg player, never mind Niederlechner, who is basically a 1000 yard running back on <laughs> a, on an, on a seven and nine team, you know, has some decent fantasy performances for you, but you know, you don't game plan for him as, as Matthias said. So no, it's, it's to me, it seems unlikely that Niederlechner, uh, Lichtsteiner is going to play, uh, uh, Certainly from the start, but you know, 
I, I generally also think, just like Matthias said, you know, if you go into Augsburg as Dortmund and you kind of have to figure out what they are doing, then you probably go into the game with the wrong mindset. I mean, uh, this is your opportunity to start the the second half of the season off, uh, you know, well on the on the on the right foot. So you should be dictating how the game goes, and the less talented team, the the team with lesser individual quality needs to adapt and not the other way around. So yeah, here is hoping that uh, Dortmund can actually, you know, play the dominant football they've showed toward the end of the Hinrunde. And if they achieve that, I'm pretty positive that they will come away with the three points. So um, I think it's time for predictions. Lars, do you want to give us the honor and go first? Two nil for Dortmund. Matthias. With, with uh, a Haaland goal off the bench. Good, good. Matthias? Uh, I'm going to go with a 3 1 uh, after Augsburg take a 1 0 lead thanks to a set piece goal and everybody freaks out. And then at the end, everyone goes, oh, okay, we did it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, predicting a 3 nothing win. I don't think Augsburg will be even on the score sheet. So, um, yeah. Why, why the heck not? I also predict a, a Haaland goal because uh, that's that's what you do now. That's uh, what's on Vogue in, in 2020. There's no other way around it. Lars is the trendsetter after all. So, um, yeah, with that, um, Lars, how can people get in touch with you on the internet? Uh, they can just follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman. Matthias? Uh, yes, you can also still find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. And you also can find me on Twitter, even though not as frequently as, as usually, uh, at Stefan Butzko and all of us you can find at Yellow Wallpots on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to our show, please do that via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. And if you want to read our written content, then go to theyellowwall.net. And if you want to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall, where you can sponsor an episode for 10 bucks a pop. So if you have any more questions about that, you can also shoot us an email at uh, yellowwallpod at gmail.com. And uh, that should be it from us for this week. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>